Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is this Wednesday, December 11th. I am your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have some folks in the studio here with me that we're going to talk to in a little bit. we got Robin from our station in Waco, and I've got Thaddeus, and then, of course, there's me. And so we this, today is an interesting day. The saint of the day today is St. Damasus I, and most of us probably have never heard of him. Uh, he was born in 306 and died in 384. Uh, interesting thing, a couple of interesting things about him is that he was a deacon, and at age 60, he was elected bishop of Rome. So apparently the rules about who could be bishop and who couldn't were a little bit differently, different then. The other thing that is uh, interesting is that I believe St. Jerome was his secretary, and he basically ordered Jerome to study the Bible and then to do the translation into the Latin. So we would not have the uh, Latin version of the Bible had, we not, had it not been for St. Damasus. Uh, I won't read it because it's very long, but he also has a treatise that's attributed to him on all the names of Christ. So uh, if you want to, you will find a way to be able to find that. I think the, if you look at I think it's a catholic.com, and the Saint, look, just look for Saint of the Day, and, and you'll be able to see all of this. Uh, a couple of things going on uh, right now in uh, Bryan College, well, all over, is that this is a time when St. Vincent de Paul and even Catholic Charities are really looking for people to help them out to supply for the needs of those people who would not have Christmas without us. And most churches have a giving tree. Those, those gifts are probably due pretty soon. So you might want to check into that, and I think almost every parish is looking for people to help contribute for the flowers for Christmas Day. So, and the other thing I would say is that uh, if you haven't done your Advent penance yet. There are still a few penance services and uh, that are available, and you can probably find those on our website uh, if you will look. Uh, and I, Thaddeus is going to have to tell me what tab to go to because I don't remember. Good morning, Gene. Yes. Oh. We have a banner on the very front of the website, redsearadio.org, that you can click on, and it will take you right to our listing of penance services in the Brazos Valley, in Central Texas, and over in the Holy Land of Texas, Palestine. Okay. All right. So we've got that. Got that covered. Got it covered. The other thing is that uh, Christmas mass schedules, what I would suggest is if you know where you're going to be and going to mass for Christmas and it's not your normal parish, go again to our website and look for the resources and look for the bulletins of that particular parish to find out when Masses are going to be Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Yep, you can go to our resources tab, and we've got a link to every parish in our listening area, listening areas, and you can check the special schedules for Christmas Eve and Christmas. Yes, indeed. And would you introduce our guest in the studio today? Oh, yes. We've got a very important member of our Red Sea Radio staff here in the flesh in the studio today. Robin Waters, our... Central Texas KYAR station director is in the studio. We're having a little staff staff day today, and he's fresh back from Rome. 
the trip that he made with and, his and, and lovely not, wife, Carolyn. And that's not Rome, Texas. Not Rome, Texas. No. Rome, Italy. Okay. So, Robin. Yes, sir. Ciao. <laughs> Is that what they say over there? Oh, I'm. that makes me hungry when you say that. <laughs> How are you this morning? I'm awesome. Had a great trip down from West this morning. Great. Yeah, say hi to, hi to your listeners and tell us a little bit about your, your trip. Yeah, hey, everybody up in Waco, uh, West and Central Texas area. Uh, I had a great trip to Rome. My wife, Carolyn, and I spent uh, seven days there, and we just saw some amazing sights that brought our faith to life. You know, we got to see the Pope, be within a few feet of him, saw his smiling face and how much he loved people and loved children and, and the disabled. He, uh, he He's a real man. He's not just a faraway character. Uh, got to go to a lot of churches. I think we went to over 30 churches, got to pray in all of those places and be exposed to some, uh, some very miraculous things such as relics. Uh, we got to go to the church where, uh, they have two thorns from the crown of thorns. Mm -hmm. They have a nail that held Jesus to the cross. Uh Uh-huh. They had the finger of St. Thomas, the apostle, that he touched Jesus' side where he was wounded. They had the sign that hung over Jesus' head. To sit there, they had pieces from the actual cross and a large piece from the cross of the good, the good thief. So to, to be in that chapel and pray in front of those blessed articles, and know that these came from the time of Jesus. Jesus touched these things. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. You were sharing with us about a special blessing that you had when you went to St. Peter's about 6.30 one day. Yes, sir. We were uh, kind of finishing up our day. had been walking and seeing a lot of sights, and our hotel was only a block away from St. Peter's Square, and we were walking through St. Peter's Square on our way back to the hotel, and uh, uh, St. Peter's was still open. And so we got in line, went through security, and we said, we've got a tour scheduled for a, you know, a couple of days, but let's go ahead and go in and you know just see this beautiful place. So we went in, and, and uh, we're just uh, our eyes couldn't even take in all the beauty. It was so amazing. And as we walked through there, I saw that there was something going on on one of the side chapels. There was a gentleman, people would come up to him and, they would, they would ask him uh, if they could enter, and he would explain to them that what was going on was Eucharistic adoration. Some of them didn't know what that was, so they, you know, they went away. And others he would allow to enter if they were prepared to pray. And so we went ahead, and we were blessed to be able to go to adoration there at St. Peter's that night, totally unexpected, didn't even know what was going on. Went in there, did my evening prayers, and shortly after, a priest came out, and we were blessed to be there when they did benediction for the day. Mm. So that was just such a wonderful, uh, not a coincidence, uh, 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 spirit-led event. If I can break into your story, I had a similar kind of experience. Um, When I was in St. Peter's, I got to go in 2008, and we were going through on our tour, and I noticed, um, and we kind of were at a point where we had some free moments just to, to wander and I noticed that there was mass being said at one of the side altars, one of the side chapels. And I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to step in here and attend mass for what's remaining of it. 
And when I went up for communion, I noticed that behind the, the altar was a reliquary, and on the, the name on the reliquary was uh, S for Sancta, and then it was Thaddeus. It was my patron saint's. The apostle Jude Thaddeus was a relic. I'm assuming it was a reliquary for wow. my patron saint, and that was the mass. It was being mass was being held on that side chapel on that day when I went into St. Peter's. That's amazing, incredible. Yeah. Well, another thing I had happen that uh, it was really life changing, and we had a very experienced tour guide when we when we uh, went through the Vatican and the Sistine Chapel, and we had a small group. And she said, since we've got a small group, I can get you into places where it's not too crowded. So we went into the Sistine Chapel, and normally where there may be a thousand people in there, just like sardines, there were twenty people in there, and our small group went in, and so we just got to sit there and take in all the beauty of what the Sistine Chapel is. And shortly after we got in there, a priest came out and he said a few words and offered some beautiful prayers, and then he said, "So if uh, if anyone would like to go to confession, I'm available." And I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and we both said, when will we ever have an opportunity to go to reconciliation? Yeah, wow. And, and it wasn't scheduled. He, he was just there, mm-hmm. only 30 people in the room, and he offered that, so we took advantage of that. And we both got to, uh, to uh, uh, confess our sins to the Lord and re- receive absolution and then offer our penance right there on the, uh, on the altar of St. St. Peter. Uh, the Sistine Chapel. So it was beautiful. Beautiful. And then you had to come back. Yep. And I was ready. I bet. I bet you were. Yeah. Yeah. The traveling was was no problem, and you you had safe uh, and relatively easy flights there and back. It, they were, except for it was just long. From the time we left our house to the time we got to our hotel room on the flight over, it took us twenty four hours. Mm. On the way back. It was 25 hours, so uh, uh, very tiring, and I think that's why we were ready to come home. But uh, and and we didn't waste time over there. We were busy all day long because we couldn't see it all in a week. Sure, so, but we enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Well, before we let you uh, let you go away, uh, Robin, I do want to have you talk a little bit about. Uh, You've been with us now as the station director for, uh, what, two, three months? About two months, so, yeah. Two months. Uh, what are you particularly enjoying about about being the, the station director up there in, in the central Texas area? Well, the thing that I enjoy the most is uh, really what I expected was that all my work is immersed in the faith. Yeah. And so I'm dealing with, I'm talking with people at the parishes, I'm getting to visit with the uh, a lot of the priests in our area, a lot of the deacons, that we were blessed uh, uh, for them to help us record a lot of Advent reflections. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of the priests and deacons that hadn't had a chance to do that before, they also did a lot of uh, legal IDs for us, kind of station identifications, and so just getting to know them better, getting to know uh, you know what loving, caring people they are, not just to their parishioners, but to you know anyone, and especially they were very kind to me. And uh, just letting them know that uh, their mission is our mission. We're there to promote the faith and to have a job to where, you know, people ask me, what's my job? And I said, well, you know, I have a lot of duties, but I really only have one job, and that job is evangelization. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we help kind of bridge the gap between from Sunday to Sunday is is one way that I like to think about it. We help people keep their their faith. Um, we help we help them to keep their faith active and in the front of their their mind during the week. Absolutely, and that's why I love Red Sea Radio so much because me personally, every time I turn it on, I either learn something about myself or my faith. Mm-hmm. Yep, very good, very good. And do you have any um, any goings on up in the the Central Texas area that you you want to promote or you want to talk about or anything you've you've been doing up there that you want to fill people in on? Uh, don't really have anything in particular, uh, just a lot of work that I'm doing with different parishes. We do a lot of work with uh, Pro-Life Waco, which is an honor, and it's something that uh, that we all stand behind and, and support, but uh, but not really any particular event, but just also just want to let all the churches in our listening area, in the Waco area know, that uh, if you have something that you need to promote, promote to support your parish, please call me, and we will get you on the air. Another thing I would say, uh, and Robin, you and I talked about this earlier. I, I think all of the uh, hosts here on Red Sea Roundup, my, but uh, me in particular, are always looking for somebody to interview on Red Sea Roundup. So, if any of our listeners uh, have an, any ideas of somebody you'd like to, to hear on the air, or somebody that you know who has a story, please contact us, and they can do that through the phone number or. They can email the the station. There's a roundup at redsearadio.org. You can take an email uh, with a suggestion. You can email me, Thaddeus, at redsearadio.org. You can email Robin, Robin, R-O-B-I-N. Yep. And I think, I, I think, I've, got a, I think I've got a gene at redsearadio.org. You, yeah, you do. You do. So there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, hit us up on Facebook. Yes. Because we're always looking for good, interesting people. To- Speaking of which, Facebook, that's another uh, good thing to mention real quickly. Some of you may have noticed that our Central Texas Facebook and our Red Sea Radio Facebook, they have been merged. So there, now there's just one Facebook page to get all your announcements, all your um, social media posts from us. Red Sea Radio, uh, Red Sea Catholic Radio on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And we're down to about the one minute mark. And We are. I want to let you know that the program today is pre-recorded, and it's Anthony DeStefano, and we're going to talk to him about his life and his new book, The Seed Who Was Afraid to Be Planted, which— Yeah, uh, just tease that real quick. It, it It's really a great book. It's a children's book, but it's really written for adults. Uh, and as you listen, you may want to uh, purchase this for yourself, for a grandchild or a child. And uh, if I don't get to talk to you again between now and— Christmas. I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas because this is a great time of the year and uh, there's so much going on. Again, uh, look up how you can serve in a different way. And until we come back from the break, this is Gene Wilhelm on Red Sea Roundup. Station, acting as a general contractor and open. I was dead in the grave. 
Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have with me a guest today that is a little different from some of the guests I normally have. I have Anthony DiStefano, and he is an author, and he has authored about 20 books, and we want to talk in particular about his latest book, which is called The Seed Who Is Afraid to Be Planted, and it is just an excellent book. It's one that... uh, my wife and I read, and, and we got a lot out of it, and we think it'd be an excellent opportunity for you to order that and get it to someone who uh, maybe is going through some struggles right now as a Christmas present. Welcome, Anthony. I'm so glad that we are able to talk together this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing just great, and thank you so much for having me here, Gene. Well, it is my pleasure. I, I enjoy interviewing interesting people who have an uh, a very interesting story to tell, and and by looking at your bio on your webpage, uh, you've had a rather varied life yourself, and uh, not always taken the path uh, that is most chosen, but probably the path less traveled. I have had an interesting life. It's not as interesting as some that I know, but I mean, I'm I'm not. I don't think I have the typical profile for a person who writes uh, Christian and Catholic. Uh, books, nonfiction, adult books, and children's books. I've I've got mainly a secular background, I guess. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, you know I went to public schools, and I wanted to be a doctor, and I wanted to be a political operative, and I wanted to be a businessman. I I wanted to do everything, but get involved in um, in uh, very religious uh, kinds of things. So it's it is interesting how I did wind up in this position of having written twenty uh, Christian books. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your upbringing. You say you were in Brooklyn, and I'm sure that it, in Brooklyn you must have been raised in an Italian parish, and your family was probably really devoutly Catholic. You know, you know that's really not true. Uh, it isn't. We, we, we grew up in a very mixed neighborhood, blacks, Puerto Ricans, Jews, uh, very few Italians, and we weren't regular churchgoers. We just weren't. My father had been an altar boy and had been from a very religious household, but his mother had died when he was 17 years old, and he sort of went away from the faith. So consequently, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a rather secular, skeptical kind of a, a house, and uh, it was only my sister. You know, there were five children and two parents living over a few, few rooms in a bakery, <laughs> over a bakery. And, and as, as is sometimes the case, one of the children was religious. The, my my sister Elisa, uh, the girl, the only girl, she for some reason was listening to Catholic radio and going to mass uh, for some inexplic- inexplicable reason, and she sort of brought the rest of us along. Slowly but surely, all of us became committed to the Catholic faith, and eventually, even my father, before he died, he became very committed again to to Catholicism. So it was very circuitous and interesting a route. There is another book that uh, Sophia Press, your, your book is by Sophia Press, uh, uh, that deals with St. Monica that is, talk, you know, it, it's talking about, in that particular case, about children that leave the faith, but that it's a long and circuitous route to get back to the faith. And uh, 
Do, yours is an interesting story in that. It, is there anything in particular that stands out in your mind that brought you back to Catholicism? Anything your sister did or anything that, well, any event? My sister, my sister took me to a, a Latin mass once, and the priest was a really incredible priest. His name was Father Frank Pavone. He oh, was, yes. Uh, in our, in, in, at the time, we were in Staten Island, and he very impre- much impressed me with his preaching. And I, I had all these questions about the faith, so I made an appointment to go see him, and he sort of just answered all those questions one by one. And he actually tried to get me to become a priest in the very first meeting that I had with him. And I said, Father, Father, I don't even know if I believe in God yet. Can't we take it a little slow, more slowly? <laughs> and, and, um, and he said, yes, okay, we'll take it, we'll take it slow, he says, and uh, let me give it some prayerful thought. And then he called me a few days later, and he asked me if I wanted to be a, um, a religious instruction CCD teacher for second graders. He thought that would be a good place for me to uh, both learn and impart the faith. And, and that's how I got involved in, in that, in, in ministry to children. And, and after that, really, the, the biggest single step, Gene, was that I read a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis uh, somewhere in my early 20s. And that was the first time that I really saw that you could read a, that you could read a book uh, that was very, very intelligent and clever and funny, and at the same time, deal with the most important questions in the universe, these metaphysical questions, in a popular way. So those, those two things really pushed me uh, into the study of the Catholic faith. How old were you when you went to see Father Pavone? I, I was like 22, 20, 23 okay. years old, 20, maybe my early 20s. So you probably already... thing for the C.S. Lewis. So I had had a good, solid, all my teenage years being away from the church and uh, being a skeptical, cynical, New York-type person. Um, I personally think, you know, when reflecting back on it, I personally, you know, obviously God's, God knows everything. He's in the future. He knows what was going to happen to me. And I think he formed me in a very uh, special way, because uh, when I did finally come around to um, really knowing my Catholic faith well and writing books about it, I was able to write books... Um, not in a very saccharine, sweet, uh, preachy, overly kind of religious way, pious way, but I was able to approach them in a, in, uh, with a perspective that was a little skeptical and write you know, popular books for people of this age who are skeptical anyway. So I think that you know, it, it, I think it helped my writing because of the background that I had. Well, your path is similar to Paul's or St. Augustine's, uh, maybe not and some of the things you've done, but you obviously were not as committed uh, as you, you could have been, and yet God somehow took that path, that, uh, that, that pathway that maybe wasn't the straight path, but sort of kind of a winding path to get you where you needed to go, and all of the experiences that you, that you had up to that prepared you for what God really had in mind for you. Yes, yes, and I think that's a good lesson for everyone, because I speak to so many parents today, you know, because I've written children's books and adult books, I get a lot of parents who call me and write to me, and they, and they talk all the time about the, their children. They're worried about, so many people are worried about their children, they're going in the wrong direction, and they don't know what to do to stop it. And I give them what best advice I can give about things they might be able to do. But, but ultimately, uh, they have to trust in God's perfect timing. You know, God knows where that child is, and, he, and he's, he's going to somehow 
uh, with prayer, bring good out of that bad situation as God brings good out of every bad situation. This is one of the most challenging things uh, about our faith, but it's also the most beautiful and consoling thing, that of, uh, out, of, out of every crucifixion comes a resurrection. Uh, there is a scripture that I quote frequently, both on the air and, and with people, and uh, the uh, verse, it's the last line of Isaiah 60, and I read it out of the Jerusalem Bible, which I've been using for, golly, 40, 50 years, and it says, in due time, I will act with speed. So when, when we're dealing with situations like that, when it's God's time, he will do it, and he'll do it quickly. Yes. Yeah, he is the God of perfect timing. His timing is always not just good or great, it's perfect. We have to have faith in that. And that's tough to do sometimes when things are really going rough. Oh, yeah. Well, it is, it's, it's very tough. You know, when people ask me about this, I, I do. I always go back to that crucifixion, though. You know, the, if people don't meditate on this enough. The, the worst thing, the worst uh, suffering, the worst crime ever committed in the history of the world was, it was, was the crucifixion of Christ, because that wasn't just a homicide. It wasn't even a genocide. It was deicide. It was the murder of God. Nothing could be worse than the, this, this murder of God by his own creatures. Nothing could be more ungrateful than that. And yet, three days later, the resurrection took place. And the resurrection wasn't just a good thing, but it was the greatest thing that could ever happen, because it wasn't just the resurrection of Christ, but, but in rising again, Christ threw open the gates of heaven and made it possible for us to go to heaven, made it possible for humans to be, become divine in, in a certain way. So that's the greatest thing that ever happened. So God was able to take the worst thing that ever happened and pull out the best thing that ever happened. And if he could do that, then he could certainly take the bad things that happen in our life, which aren't as bad as the crucifixion, and somehow pull some kind of blessing out of it as long as we have faith. Very hard to, hard, hard concept, hard uh, faith doctrine, but once you get a hold of that, it's, it's really an anchor for anyone. Yes. Uh, my guest today is Anthony Stefano. He's author of a, a 20 books, and the one we're going to be talking about a little bit later is The Seed Who Was Afraid to Be Planted. It's it's fairly new book, and it, as I've said earlier, it's it'd be a great book to give somebody for Christmas. Anthony, when you were preparing, you said you were 22 when, when God brought you back into the faith fully. What was your education like before that? I mean, you said you went to public schools. Did, did, where did you go to college? I did. I went to NYU and then St. John's. I wanted to be a doctor. I, I went to a specialized science high school in New York called Stuyvesant. My, my majors were biology and chemistry. I wanted to be a, you know, a, a surgeon. Um, and, um, but then later on, I found out that that really, you know, that, that wouldn't have been the best field for me because I, I, you know, I discovered down the line that I'm, you know, what do you call those, those kind of people there? They're, they're very empathetic. Um, and, uh, I'm very bothered by, by people suffering and, and emotionally, and, and it would have been difficult for me, I think, to be, uh, a doctor or a surgeon or someone who dealt with cancer all the time or things like that. So I don't know if it would have been the best field for me. God knew that all ahead of time, though. So I, 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 I went on, though, to become a writer and, and I hope become a healer in a different way in writing books. So I think I always had it in me to want to be a healer of some kind, but I was on, but you know, I just, 
I didn't know exactly how that was to be. Now, um, but at the beginning, it was, it was going to be a doctor. Would, did you take any classes during your formal education to help prepare you to be an author? Not one. I was always a good writer, though. You know, Flannery O'Connor, when they asked her, well, why are you a writer? She said, well, because I'm good at it, she said. She, that's why you become something, because you're good at it. And I had always uh, won little writing awards and been good at English, um, even though it was a, my majors were always in science. Uh, what I was good at, naturally, was writing and reading. I, I've always read a tremendous amount. There were always books in my house. So I always knew I wanted to be, uh, in some way, uh, I wanted to write in some fashion. So, but no, never any courses. It's no inter- degrees, nothing like that. It's interesting that you were writing both uh, books for blatantly for adults and books that are seemingly for children. Yes. Uh, well, you know, there's two reasons for that. Um, one of them is that when I was a child, I remember how impacted I was just by going to Disney World or by, by reading a book, uh, uh, you know, or seeing a movie. I remember, you know, the things that, that impact you when you're a child last, sometimes can last your whole life. So I've always had it in my mind that, you know, if you can, if you can, um, if you can dramatically influence a child with some kind of piece of entertainment that's more than entertainment, then it could really influence the whole trajectory of their lives. I've always known that because because I remember it from when I was a child. Uh, the other thing, though, is that was, you know, in, my, in, in these last 20, 30 years, I've been involved in the pro-life movement, and, 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 and I'm very, very well aware of the culture war that, we're all in the, that we find ourselves immersed in, this, this battle between you know, our Christian values and the values of the secular society. So I know how important it is to, to get to children, to get to them when they're young, before the, the influences around them corrupt them and, and turn them into you know, agnostics and atheists and you know, anti-Christians. So the, I think those two things combined made me, from, uh, from the time I got into writing, uh, want to write children's books. But as you say, children's books that are not just simple children's books, but children's books that have a, a deeper meaning. When I look at some of your adult titles, to the and I've not. This is the only book of yours that I've read. Quite frankly, I have to say that I was not aware of your existence before uh, Sophia Press sent the station uh, a sample copy. But when I look at some of the other titles and and the way they look as though they're presented, it's not in an overly scholarly way. It's a way that is very down to earth. That just almost anybody could understand what you're writing. I hope that's the case. You know, my books. Um, my first book uh, was a big bestseller. It was called The Travel Guide to Heaven. And uh, not only was it a, a bestseller here, but really all over the world. It was 18 different languages, 18 different languages, excuse me. And 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes To is another one that was published all over the world. And I like to believe, Gene, that, I, um, that I'm putting the theology, deep theology, orthodox theology into these books, because I've read Aquinas and Chesterton and all of these uh, and, and all the doctors of the church, but but I, I'm I'm hopeful that I could put that theology into these books, but make them understandable to everyday people. You know, to, to write popular books that are that are not watered down theologically. That's been the whole gist and goal and objective of my writing life. Uh, you know, to, to to take these these great great truths of our faith 
and make them understandable without compromising them one iota. Maybe this is a good point to jump off and start talking about the seed that was afraid to be pla- who was afraid to be planted. Uh, in looking at that book, uh, you said something earlier in, uh, when we were talking that God takes the worst that could happen and makes something really good out of it. And that's a basic uh, message in the book that I hadn't thought about before, uh, that it's it, what, what the seed imagined to be so uh, bad actually turned out to be something very good. And when it was all over, the seed was very happy at what had happened. Yes, yes. I would say that's one of the central messages of this book. You know, it's really a retelling. This book is a retelling of Christ's parable of the seed, told from the perspective of the seed. You know, I mean, Christ told several parables about grains of wheat that fall to the grain and have to die in order to, you know, grow and bear fruit. And, and you know, the mustard seed, the smallest seed, you know, that, but yet it grows to be the biggest tree. I thought to my, I was at Adoration actually once. Uh, last year, and um, I read that passage, uh, the passage from uh, the Gospel of John, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. I just read that from one of the Bibles that was in the Adoration Chapel, and then on the way home, it's, you know, it struck me like a bolt of lightning. Wouldn't that be a great idea for a children's book? I mean, if you t- I mean presumably, if a seed could talk, then that seed who was planted in the ground would be afraid of being planted because as far as he knows that would be the end of him he would be dying little would he know that he that he would be destined to grow into a magnificent tree and i thought wouldn't that be a great way to tell uh, uh, um, uh, tell talk to children about this uh, about fear overcoming fear and even help them with with the subject of grieving too uh, because there's something hidden there, that God has something more in mind for us. And I thought that would be a wonderful way to, um, to, relate, to introduce children to this parable and at the same time talk to them about fear and grieving and also do it in a, do it in a way that the adults who are reading the books to the children might also profit. Great. Uh, my guest today is Anthony Stefano, an author of 20 books for adults and children on the Catholic, I mean, centered around the Catholic faith, and his latest book is The Seed Who Was Afraid to Be Planted. Anthony, I don't know what motivate. I mean, you said this motivated you to do that, but you've told the story in a way that is very open. And you were talking about grief a little bit earlier, and I can see in the book the grieving of the seed and the fear. Uh, and, but you don't necessarily have to have someone die in your life to grieve you can there's something in your life that can die or something that you go from stage one to stage two of your life or 17 to 18 and there's a grieving process because you have to leave something behind that's right any kind of permanent loss is something that you can grieve over uh and uh children of course who are growing uh, and always having new experiences are constantly grieving. They don't call it grieving. They don't know it's grieving. But when a child goes from, you know, uh, into a new school or a new neighborhood or a new grade or, or, or if, 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 a, if a baby brother or a baby sister is born or something, it begins a whole new process in their lives and they have to leave the old life behind. And it could be very uh, frightening to them. Um, and then, of course, there is real grieving when... Um, you know, if a pet dies or, or if a grandparent or someone in the family dies, it's hard for parents to talk to children about what that means. Um, 
And so I thought that the idea of a seed uh, who looks like he's dying, but really is not, really, I mean, that could be, can, a child can relate to that in so many ways because he can relate to it based on the fact that, that maybe, uh, you know, he could, he, he could think of himself as the seed going through a, a, a terrible experience, and, and he could then have hope that, well, something, uh, something better is, is, all I have to do is just have, uh, have a little faith and wait a little while, and something better is going to happen to me. But also, if something has happened to a, 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 you know, a, a, someone in their family, a death or something like that, a parent could use this book and say, well, look, the, the, the seed didn't die, just like your, your, your grandfather didn't die. He's in heaven now. This is his life in heaven. And, and, and look at how the seed was when he grew into a big giant tree overlooking this sunlit shore. That's like paradise. That's like heaven. So it's a way to impart this fundamental teaching uh, about, the, about the fact that the end of the human story is not death, but life, abundant life. The... Uh as you were talking, uh, I was thinking about uh, for children, the go- leaving home and starting school, leaving uh, your elementary school, going into middle school, going into high school, graduating from high school. Even the whole business of entering into puberty can be a dying and a restoration into something that's new that children experience frequently. Uh, and and some people never let go of graduating from high school because that was the highlight of their life. Yes, yes, I know people like that too. Uh, and that's why if parents can somehow use these analogies, like this simple analogy of a seed who, has to, who grows into a tree, uh, I think children can understand that concept. I think they can understand that this seed becomes something much better, a tree. And that, uh, and that they, can, they are like that seed. And so that, that, it just, that, that they have to leave behind high school in order to have the incredible experience of, and freedom of going to college and meeting new friends. And the same thing goes for, you know, um, uh, if, 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 if a baby brother or baby sister comes along and they're afraid that they're no longer going to be the special child. But they, they were, again, they, could be, they can relate to the seed who becomes a tree, and the, the parent can say, but look, look, your, the, your, your life with your brothers and sisters is going to be a big family now, and at Christmas time there's going to be a lot of people, and it's going to be you know, presents, and, 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 and just a much more, uh, just more livelier, joyous life. I think they can understand that message, and I think it's a message that if they interiorize it, it could help them their whole life. Yeah, and, and one of the uh, I'm kind of thumbing through the book here as we're talking too, and it, the the message also is in there that sometimes we say, "Why me, Lord?" When God selects us to do something, and we don't think that that we don't want to move from where we are, we're too, we're in our comfort zone, and God always tries to get us out of our comfort zone, and that what yeah, happened next is when the se- little drawer at the beginning, yes. that drawer is 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 exact what you just said. It's a comfort zone. Or it could be perceived as a womb, too, the womb. Uh, nobody wants to leave the womb. Nobody wants to leave their comfort zone. And God is constantly uh, forcing us out of it because he wants us to grow. He wants us to be the best. That's why he prune, you, know, you prune the vine and, and, and you become fruitful. Whenever anyone suffers, God is pruning them so that they could be more fruitful. That's how we have to look at suffering. That's how we have to look at the challenges and frustrations and irritations we face every single little day. God is pruning us because he wants us to be more, more fruitful. And, and then more fruitful, 
then more nourishing to everyone else around us. There's a scene in, in this children's book where once the seed becomes a tree, he's not a, a solitary tree alone. You know, all the birds uh, come to him and build nests in his, in his branches, and the, the, all the, you know, the squirrels and the butterflies come. He becomes a source of nourishment and life for everyone around him. And that's what we become when we live to our full potential that God, that God wants us to actualize. You know, uh, pruning uh, serves several purposes. One can be shaping, uh, and the other can be pulling off uh, vegetation that looks very healthy but detracts from producing good fruit. And oh, that yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's for, that's for sure. And a lot of us, I think, have that, that's very perceptive. A lot of us have uh, a lot of uh, bad leaves <laughs> that have to be taken from us, and we think they're good, uh, but we really can't. We don't have proper vision. We're not looking at, at life with divine lenses, so to speak. And so we think that a lot of the things in our life that are good, uh, that are bad, are really good, and, 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 and God has to take them away from us. The other thing that, that after that seed is planted, the seed goes into darkness, a very a dark night of the soul, so to speak, uh, because everything is so unfamiliar. Yes, and I purposely put that in the book. There is a scene where the seed is planted in the ground, and it's a little scary. And in fact, the publisher initially said to me, you know, you know, that's a little scary, that scene. Shouldn't we brighten it up? And I, and I said, no, no, no. I, I, I want it to be a little bit frightening. Uh, because that's what, you know, kid, children are scared of things, and adults are scared of things, and it can be frightening. It could, it could feel suffocating, and we could feel in, like we're in darkness. That's a part of life. Uh, and so I wanted to show that seed buried there before he does grow out of it and into the sunshine. And then the ne- on the very next page, you show that the seed is, uh, the shell is coming off and the roots are going and, and, and the seed sees that it's very different than it was and it's very scary to the seed there also. Yes. Yeah, because it's a process. This growth process is a, can, can be a painful process. Uh, and can, but, 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 but we have, this is, the book is about surrender and trusting, to, trusting of God. That's the key here, that no matter what we're facing, trust in God. Fear is useless. What's needed is trust. And when you trust in God, he's going to get you through, and you're going to be happy about it. Eventually, he's going to pull some kind of blessing out of the situation. Yes, and, and then eventually the seed sprouts enough that it can see the light again. And, and yes, that, and eventually he grows so big he overlooks a beautiful sunlit shore with mansions and, you know, there's animals and uh, the, 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 the gardener there who plants the seed, who sort of represents God, is standing there too. And um, his children swing from the branches of the tree. It's almost a little bit like the tree of life as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to think, look back in my own life, uh, I am definitely not a youngster anymore. And I can look back and see that there were several times when I had to become that seed. Even, even the very act of uh, getting married is a burying of self and a dying to self to do something different. And then uh, the various the, – when each child comes along, uh, you, it's a dying to self again so that new growth can happen. And then I am past retirement, and that was a very scary thing for me. Uh, to think about retirement because my life was so tied up in 
what I did that I didn't really spend a lot of time trying to figure out who I was. Yeah. Yes. It's, uh, you know, I can give you this, I could give you the same number of examples in my own life. I constantly find that I have to die to so many of the desires that I have and things that I like. And that's the, the whole process of life, dying to, to oneself and taking on uh, Christ. Uh, it's hard. Christianity is not for um, pe- people. Just, people water down Christianity so much, and they make it so uh, mushy sometimes. It's just about you know love and peace, and, and they forget that at the very center of it, it, it talks about this dying to oneself and sacrificing, you know, sacrificing. Uh, Christianity is not for weak people. It's 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 it's, it's a strong religion. It's a it's a courageous religion. And uh, but yet it's one that if you embrace will give you all the courage you need to overcome all the adversity and the suffering that you're bound to face in this life. My guest again today is Anthony DiStefano, author of a brand new book called The Seed Who Was Afraid to Be Planted. And he's the author of about 20 books altogether, some for adults, and some that look like they're for children. And uh, he is talking to us a little bit about the message that comes out of the seed who was afraid to be planted. Your own life, uh, you talked. To, we talked a few minutes before uh, we started this recording. Uh, you talked that at one time you had a job and you did the authoring a little bit on the side, and now it's a full-time job for you. That must have been a kind of a scary uh, thing that happened. That, that seed was planted when you were young to be an author, and it, you may maybe kept it in the drawer for a while, and then you decided that you had to do it full time. Would you? You know, um, I, I, I actually I thought I, I think that I and this is good advice for people who want to write out there. Um, it wasn't so the way I chose to go about it in my life was actually not so scary. I got a job. I didn't give up everything to become a writer. I wanted a job and wanted a business and wanted to, to um, you know, get a successful living. And on the side, I did my writing. And now in order to do that writing, it required a big sacrifice. I had to get up very, very early on weekends. And you know, I didn't have any uh, agent or publisher. And so it was very discouraging to you know, get up in the middle of the wintertime when I didn't have to and try to write a book, my, my first book, Travel Guide to Heaven. But, but I think that's the way a writer should go about it today. You, you shouldn't just quit everything and, and, just, and become a writer or a musician. You've got to go out there and get some kind of a job and then practice your art on the side, but practice it you know, with, with, with passion. Uh, and that's what I did, and I was lucky enough to, to get a, uh, you know, a contract with a, with a major publisher. It, that's a very interesting story. So your, your advice then is this, that, that you don't necessarily jump into the water uh, without knowing how to swim, but you maybe spend some time uh, near the shore learning how to swim until you, you're good enough at it to be able to do it out in the deep. Yes. Absolutely. And, and if you want to practice the arts, because I know a lot of uh, teenagers, they want to be musicians and they want to do this, but then they have these very romantic ideas about just, just living for their art. You don't, the, 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 the real way to do it is to get a job and take care of your responsibilities and then stay up late or get up early and find the extra time to practice that art. And you can do both then. 
and that, but, but they shy away from that. People are scared of that because it requires too much time to do both. But that's, what, that's the right way to do it, to do both if you need to. And you'll find if you look at the great artists, the great writers in history, they all had other kinds of jobs and then practiced their writing on the side until they took off. Well, if you look at Paul in, uh, when he writes about his own life, he supported himself by being a tent maker, and he was a, a uh, preacher on the side. And that right. now, all we know about is his preaching. Right. He continued to be a tent maker and was quite proud of the fact that, you know, he paid his way uh, up until a certain point, And then he did what was able to, to you know, mainly give, give that up. But uh, it's the same thing for us. That's a great point. I've never used that before, but I'm going to. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> it, it's the same thing, I think, when we talk about our Christian life. There are some people that, that find, well, they, they turn their life over to Jesus or, and they have this re- tremendous religious experience and they think that they either have to give up their jobs to do this or they don't have time to do it because they need to support their families. And, and as with so many things in Catholicism, it's really a, a both and, isn't it? It is. You know, you're fir- you know they, uh, I, I, this is a deep subject because you run, in, and you run into a lot of conflict with people who are religious, especially people who are uh, very passionately, have a lot of emotion about their religion when they first convert. They want to give everything to, to the Lord. They want to go on missionary trips. They want to do all these different things. They don't want to stay home and, you know, uh, you know uh, pay the bills, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, the biggest um, the indicator of God's will is your state in life. You know, if you're a married father, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to make sure that you take care of those responsibilities. That's the first thing. And, uh, you know, as tedious or as difficult as that may be, uh, not necessarily to go on a mission trip somewhere and just leave them, you know, flat. I've seen some, I've seen some cases of that. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deep, uh, kind of area that we're wading into here. But whatever the the bottom line though, is being a Christian requires sacrifice, deep sacrifice. Jesus says in, in, uh, the ninth chapter of Luke, Anyone who wants to be a follower of mine, he needs to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It, and I, I think that taking up the cross and daily is, is the key there. And Luke is the only one that uses the word daily. And we, it, it's not going to be easy. It's, it's going to be every day. Yes, every day. And all of the, uh, the irritations and interruptions and aggravating things that happen during the day, people tend to think of those as being just interruptions. But they're not really. Those are the the things that are constituting what God is sending you daily uh, to deal with. God is sending you those crosses, those little crosses, every day, every hour. You're going to deal with something, whether it's a spilled cup of coffee to you know, uh, some very bad news that you get or being in a traffic jam, those are crosses that you can offer up to God because he's sending them to you. So that really is what constitutes life as much as all the grand, beautiful feelings that you have sometimes uh, when you think about God or read great religious books. You've written this particular book that I'm aware of. What is another book that you think, just for our general listening audience, 
uh, would be a good book that you've written that you really think would be one that they sh- they would want to read that s- expresses a message maybe bigger than anything else that you said? You know, I've written two adult books that I think resonate most with readers. One of them is the book I mentioned, A Travel Guide to Heaven. It's about heaven and uh, about after, heaven after the resurrection. I think that anyone who is afraid of death or who has loved ones that have died, I think that this is a, 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 an orthodox yet popular book on heaven, Travel Guide to Heaven. The other one is 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes To. If you're having trouble with the faith, or you're, you know, you're wrestling with atheism or agnosticism, or you know someone who is 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes To, is a book about prayers God always says yes to. And so it's, it's going to help people with their faith. Uh, beside that, uh, you know, it's Christmas time is coming up, and I wrote a, a, a very a big bestseller called Little Star, which has been featured on EWTN and other places, and it's all about the Star of Bethlehem. Um, so those are the three that come to mind. Quickly. The, other, the other one that intrigues me, the title is The Donkey That No One Could Ride. That's my, that's my biggest selling children's book. The Donkey That No One Could Ride is really a, a, an Easter story, and it's about the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And, uh, of course, it's a donkey that no one had ever ridden, uh, but I explored, well, why that, why that was in that book. It was a weak, small little donkey, broken-down donkey that no one could ever ride. And, of course, our Lord chose him to ride into Jerusalem on. And, um, of course, there's a miracle in it. <laughs> and uh, it's been, it's, it's, I would say, of all my children's books, it's been the one that's been the best received uh, uh, here and, and in other places uh, in, in Europe. Well, that, that, that story is one that God always chooses the one that nobody else seems to want. I mean, you, you look that it was Jacob rather than Esau, and it was David, the youngest of Jesse's sons. I mean, it, 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 it's so frequently it's that God chooses somebody that the rest of the world wouldn't particularly choose. The first person that uh, Jesus appeared to uh, when he rose from the dead was Mary Magdalene, who was a former uh, prostitute, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, he could have appeared to many people, appeared to her first, you know? So that's why I, I say to people who are so worried about all their sins that they've committed, you know, is God, you know, can I, can I ever be a great Christian or a saint, or is God going to love me? And I say, look what, look, he appeared to, our Lord risen from the dead appears to a former prostitute. That's the first person he appears to. I mean, don't tell me about all the sins you've committed. You know, just re- repent and and have faith, and, and uh, you could be the greatest saint in the world. A couple of questions. Uh, we're drawing pretty close to the end of the program. Uh, where can people find out more about you? I do have a web page, uh, and I apologize for my Italian name, but <laughs> www.anthonydestefano.com. And that's spelled uh, as Stefano, for those who... Uh, Stefano is spelled D-E-S-T-E-F-A-N-O, Stefano. And if they have problems with that, they can just do a, a web search on the seed who's uh, yeah, afraid to be planted. I pretty, pretty easily. Yeah, I, I, that's the way I found you. Now, how, if somebody wants to buy your books, what are the various outlets where they can find your books, particularly this one that I've been promoting here as a Christmas gift, not only for children, but for uh, teenagers and adults? 
I've been very blessed in that my books have gotten out through all kinds of uh, distribution channels. Uh, they've been in Cracker Barrel and Walmart and all over the place. Uh, th- this book uh, just came out October 7th, The Feast of the Rosary. And uh, it's available on Amazon.com. It's available in all different Catholic bookstores and EWTN and places like that. So uh, you can pretty much get it online or, or at uh, many different Catholic bookstores. might be a good place. And it's, you know. is it also available at Sophia Press? Oh, yes, of course. Sophia Press is the publisher. Sorry. Okay. And, <laughs> and make and, sure I give them a plug. And for any, uh, is, is, has Sophia Press been your uh, publisher all along? Uh, no, actually. This is uh, my first book with Sophia. I have published with Random House and HarperCollins and Hachette. But, you know, uh, Gene, I, I feel that, you know, our church right now, there's so much turmoil going on and so many questions and so many problems and scandals. You know, I feel like, you know, all Catholics have to be like all hands on deck right now. And, and so I wanted to uh, find a Catholic publisher and write some children's books, at least, uh, and possibly some adult books, too, for Catholic publisher. Um, which I haven't done in the past. Most of my publishers have been secular or Christian publishers of other kinds. I, I was amazed when I looked at the series of announce of, of recommendations or endorsements of this. The most uh, surprising to me was Delilah, uh, that the I, radio host, I, the radio host, and and I've heard her on secular radio for years. And, and Mike Huckabee didn't surprise me that much, or Ben Carson, uh, Alveda King maybe a little bit. I, mean, I don't know. Kathy Brenzel, so, uh, but you have a lot of... Well, that, she's the head of the National Day of Prayer, so that's, a, that's not a Catholic group, that's a Christian, Protestant group, uh, but the National Day of Prayer has endorsed this book. So there's a wide range of secular and uh, uh, Protestant as well as Catholics who have endorsed the book. Uh, but yes, Delilah, she's a, she's a good friend of mine, actually. She's okay. a syndicated radio host. She's endorsed and spoken about several of my books on her show. Okay, thank you so much, Anthony. Anthony Stefano has been my guest today, and uh, you can reach him at his website. Just Google him and find out about him. Remember, whenever choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. And thank you for listening today. Rumors and talk.